Welcome to Preaching in Season, a series designed to help ministers in their work of the interpreting the Bible and preaching the Word in the many seasons of church's life. My name is Tim Sensing, Professor of Homiletics, Graduate School of Theology here at ACU. In this episode, we're going to look at the last part of Galatians chapter 4. Thank you for listening. Galatians chapter 4, 8 through 20 has become a favorite text of mine. I, I really love this text, especially as I've been for the last several years uh, teaching a class in spiritual formation, because we have this beautiful phrase about Christ being formed in us. Christ is, is in us and it generates a blessed way of being in the world. And I love this text because it, it affirms, affirms the body of Christ that Christ is being formed and shaped into our lives in order to, for us as the people of God to express a flourishing life. Galatians 4, 8 through 20, it's not found in the Revised Common Lectionary. And even in year D, that supplement to the Revised Common Lectionary, even there it's only a supplemental text. But when I teach spiritual formation, it's one of my primary texts. A good friend at Purdue nicknamed me Stoneface. It wasn't meant to be a compliment. If you have not noticed, I do not carry many of my emotions on my face. I once told the campers at Carolina Bible Camp that if they caught me smiling, they could make me run around the mess hall after lunch. The Galatians. They were not so much as having stone faces, but they were developing stone hearts. When you look at this text in Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20, let me read it. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to be beings that by nature are not God. Now, however, that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, you can turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits. How can you want to be enslaved to them again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid my work for you may have been wasted. Friends, I beg you, become as I am, for I have become as you are. You've done nothing to me wrong. You know that it was because of my physical infirmity that I first announced the gospel to you. Though my condition put you to test, you did not scorn or despise me, but welcomed me as an angel of God. Ask Christ Jesus, what has become of the goodwill you felt? For I testify that had it been possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to exclude you so that you may make much of them. It is good to be made much of for a good purpose at all times, and not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I'm again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I were present with you now and could change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you.
The letter to the Galatians is part of an ongoing story of Paul's relationship with these churches. A relationship that began full of goodwill as people that were blessed because they had received the message. When Paul had first visited them, they were willing to care for him even though he came beaten and worn. There's a lot of speculation about what might have gone on, what, what was his condition. Some had guessed that he contracted malaria in the lowlands of Pamphylia and had now fled to higher altitudes. Others surmised he had problems with having epilepsy. And of course, a common assumption has been that he had an eye disease because they were willing to pull out their eyes in order to give them to Paul. They loved him so much they had given him their right arm, plucked out their eyes for him. I believe this condition was due probably to being beaten, severely persecuted, as he says, for I bear the marks of Jesus in 617. Someone else has beaten him, but they received him and subsequently the gospel with all graciousness and goodwill and blessing. And Paul reciprocated by being coming like them. He lived like a Gentile among them. He ate with them, opposing those who would not share table with them. He set them as an example of how one behaves when you're with folks who are different. The experience of having someone into your house or on your own turf is quite different when you're in their house and on their turf. And since he was in their house on their turf, he demonstrated to them about how you ought to act and live in those situations. But all that changed. The blessing was gone. They no longer felt goodwill towards Paul. So Paul asked them, What in the world has happened to your blessed way of being and the goodwill you had for me? Literally, Paul asked, Where then is your blessing? Missionaries had come teaching rules about circumcision, special days, and dietary laws, thus robbing them of their joy, robbing them of their blessedness in Christ in their lives, or again, literally, robbing Paul of the blessing they might give to him. Now in Galatians 4, Paul turns from heavy theological argument to this personal appeal. He asks them to recall an earlier time when they were united in Christ and free because of the gospel message they had heard and received. He appeals to them, become as I am. His classic appeal to imitate him so that we all together can live out this cruciform life. Paul's pastoral ministry is a call to communities to all be transformed into the image of Jesus. When these Galatians first came to know the Lord, they were thrilled about life in the Spirit. But the missionaries had infiltrated their midst, offering them a package deal with grace plus something else. And that package deal returned them to slavery, thus undoing Paul's work among them. Their freedom, their joy, and perhaps worst of all, their relationships were broken and lost. And Paul grieved over that loss and the lost blessedness of life in Christ and their goodwill towards Paul broke his heart. The Gentile believers, once being free from the elemental forces of their former life, were now turning to the offer that some higher spirituality might be found in a Jewish way of being a Christian. Like a person 
exiting an abusive relationship just to turn around and enter another oppressive and abusive relationship. Once you have experienced the love and the freedom found in the relationship of Christ alone, why would you ever go back to being entrapped by another abusive relationship? And Paul feared that their formation would be halted. Paul thought the birth process would have to start all over again. He is troubled that Christ, who was conceived in them, had the potential of being aborted in them. Paul, like an aggrieved mother, sees his children going away, astray, and implores them to remember their birth and their early upbringing. Paul longed for the process of maturation to be complete. Tell Christ informed in your midst. Christ, who is conceived and birthed in the life of the ministry of the church for the sake of the world. How does that flourishing, blessed life formed in us play itself out? Well, Galatians 5 is going to have two answers. The first answer is love, and the second answer is virtue. A formed person will look like the fruit of the Spirit, the virtues of living a good life. Conversely, an unformed person will look like the acts of the flesh, the vices that characterize a person who does not know freedom and love. And you can explore that in the next episode when we talk about Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit flourishes from the Spirit forming Christ in us, a temperament, a disposition of goodwill and blessing, a frame of mind that comes by our keeping in step with and on our journey by the sanctifying work of God's Spirit. And then the Spirit of Christ will be formed in your midst. I was asked by a church one time to be part of the Wednesday night Bible study series on the fruit of the Spirit and the hallmark list of virtues. I was assigned the virtue of joy. Those folks who know me best would all chuckle thinking of me as an expert on joy. You know, that's exactly what people think of me when they think of me. A joyful person. How is Stoneface going to talk about joy? I did what lots of preachers do. I did not do the assignment. Instead of doing Galatians 5, the fruits of the spirit of joy, I went to this text in Galatians 4 because the NIV translation, what has happened to your joy? Uh, and, and the word joy is actually not in this text. The NIV's got that wrong. Instead, in many ways, I preached a topical sermon on joy. I wanted to keep the individual fruit of joy in its larger context in Galatians. Just like we referred to boots on the ground, to refer to the whole army, let's count how many times heads are in the barn, talking about cattle, a herd of cattle. So let's allow joy to stand for all the fruit. Joy as a symbol of the whole fruit bowl. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Be joyful. I want you to be joyful right now. On the count of one, two, three, be joyful. On cue, on demand, by command, be spontaneous. No. Joy cannot be summoned forth on command. Joy is not a mood that needs enhancement with St. John's wort. 
Joy is not some out-of-body experience or ecstasy, not a personality trait that comes from some genetic makeup, not something that changes with the wind, weather, or the situations of the day, or the humor of the company we keep. Joy expressed by a new father with a newborn, like when I first held my daughter Leslie, uh, our newborn daughter, she was crying and the nurses couldn't settle her down, but as soon as they put her in my arms, she quieted. Uh, it's a joy like when you have friends at a picnic and you're playing volleyball together. A church at, at Graham and, and Leslie's baptism that gathered around us, there was joy there. I have experienced these moments of joy, and so have you. The fruit, as I experience, I experience it with my relationship with Laura, my best friend. This joy in my children, Leslie and Graham, this fruit in completing tasks. I, I, I experience joy being alone. I, I experience joy preaching. And as I experience this fruit, it might be more subdued. It might be more quiet. It's not expressive. But that is thinking of this fruit as an individual experience, more or less just a way of thinking about our feelings. But I believe that the way Christ is formed in me is how the fruit of the Spirit flourishes within me as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But also, and here's the mystery, holding the hand of a dying friend is joy. Surely the Lord is in this place too. Or when my family gathered around my father's body just minutes after his passing early one Sunday morning and we took communion together. As Paul so often reminds us, joy comes forth in the midst of suffering and in the turmoil of persecution. Often joy is found in the context of loss, pain, suffering. Joy that is formed in us by the Spirit's activity in our lives is due to the gospel of the cross. And just as Jesus, for the sake of joy set before him, endured the cross, Hebrews 12.3. This fruit transcends our context and overcomes our circumstances. The fruit is found in discovery, a glimpse into eternity, beholding the spiritual perspective where the broken is made whole, where we live into God's new world, a new way of being. This fruit is found along our journey when we encounter the holy, behold God's glory, and meet God. Surely the Lord is in this place. Paul would talk about this differently than I've been doing. Paul's going to talk about it communally, not individually. How is this fruit, these virtues, experienced or expressed by the community. The ethos of the church here, for example, what about your gifts to the world and the world in terms of mission? And, and, and any church can start listing all the different ways in which they allow these virtues of the Spirit to be expressed in their lives. The community will organically produce virtues formed by the Spirit as long as the Spirit guides and shapes the community. The guidance of the Spirit will have a recognizable character. By the Spirit of God, you've been given freedom to walk in God's way, to keep step in God's character, 
so that the joy that we experience, we experience together as the Spirit's fruit in our lives and in our relationships as Christ is formed in all of us. And that's a blessedness. And it's a blessedness that flourishes. While Paul mourns what the loss, uh, what is lost by the Galatians, we need to aspire to express the fullness of Christ formed in us. Preaching in Season is a production of the Graduate School of Theology at Abilene Christian University in partnership with the Center for the Study of Ancient Religious Texts. If you're interested in learning more about us and what we do, visit us at acu.edu gst or email us at gst at acu.edu. Until next time.